Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all Welcome to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, AM 1150. On this show before winter solstice, so we are approaching the shortest day of the year coming up, and it sure feels like it here in Seattle. I can't believe how dark it is, <laughs> how er- how early it's just dark, and then it gets so dark early in the day, and it's a good time to reflect on the natural cycle of life and death and going within in the winter and all that awesome stuff. So. Happy solstice, everybody. Eric? Yes. And even Happy though, solstice to you. Happy holidays. You. Happy Hanukkah. Christmas is coming up. New Year's. All that great stuff. All so. of it. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, it's a great day to take your dog for a walk, even though it gets so dark so early. Yeah, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. if you can make it out in the daylight, that's great. But uh, if not, you know, if you live in the city, it's pretty well lit, even at night. So, yeah. you know. Always a good day. The point yeah. being, of course... Always a good day to get your dog out for a walk and even go somewhere new. New scents, especially new sights, new sounds. Good for them. Mental and physical stimulation, super important. Get them away from the tree for a few minutes yeah. if you can, too. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they might be obsessing over that. Well, speaking of mental stimulation, um, we I was able to schedule an interview um, kind of last minute because we were contemplating either the very beginning of next year or this week, and... The authors were available, and I'm so excited to talk with John Pilly and his daughter, Deb Pilly Bianchi. I hope I'm pronouncing your last names right, you two. Um, authors of the book called Chaser, Unlocking the Genius of the Dog Who Knows a Thousand Words. And, of course, Chaser is their uh, John's border collie, female border collie, who he has taught successfully over a thousand words to. So, John and Deb, welcome to the dog show. Thank you. Thank you. All right, good. I have you both with me. So, oh, I have been reading this. Um, It's such a good book, and I'm so excited to finish it. Uh, I have not finished it, but it's loaded, um, loaded with a lot of information, and I love how balanced it is, um, you know, really sharing so much of, John, your personal experience and your family's personal experience with your very lucky, by the way, family dogs over the years, um, you know, starting back with um, dogs you had when you were younger, when your kids were younger, and talking about Yasha, who was such a huge inspiration for you and and probably um, partially responsible for the work that you're doing now or that you have done with Chaser. Uh, Really nicely balanced with that sort of personal story and reflection and personal experience, and then also your professional perspective as a professor of psychology and scientist. So really, really, really great book. If you are looking for a great gift for a dog-loving friend or family member, I definitely recommend this book. It's great. It's called Chaser, Unlocking the Genius of the Dog Who Knows a Thousand Words. So I look forward to talking to you about some of these points that jumped out at me and it's just loaded. I mean, I think I probably could have interviewed you after reading maybe the first 10 pages because it was just so loaded with information about her. Um, now, first, is is Chaser with you, John, right now? Chaser is. She's with us. Excellent. And is she is she in the room, in the same room as you? Yes, 
All right. 24-7. All right, good. Now, you have taught this dog 1,022 words. Is that right? Well, we've taught her over 1,000, yes, uh, of proper noun words. Okay. But we've also taught her common nouns, uh, verbs, adverbs. Uh, but, yes, our goal has been to discover whether or not the dog has the ability to learn simple elements of grammar. Mm. And to learn elements of grammar, uh, there has to be a vocabulary. And that's one reason we spent so much time in the first three years teaching her so many words, testing to see if she had a memory system. If you're going to learn a language, you need to have a memory system. And we've been very happy, uh, uh, exuberant, mm. to discover that Chasers, representing all dogs, is smarter than we think. Mm. Boy, I can't tell you how many times I've said over the years that dogs don't get enough credit in general. And this is a, a great example of that. And, it, you know, in reading you talking about kind of, you know, really thinking in depth about this conversation and what, what all of this means. And, you know, I think it's interesting because um, I don't know if you know about me, but my expertise is in dog training and behavior with pet dogs. So I work with people and their pet dogs uh, in the greater Seattle area and have been doing so for the last 12 years. And, you know, it, it uh, impresses me con- continually how dogs really don't get enough credit for their level of awareness of what all is going on and their level of understanding about what all is going on. And, um, you know, sometimes I think they're very, very much underestimated. And one of the things, because my job is to teach people to communicate, how to communicate with their dogs, is that I'm talking a lot about, well, what is the dog's language? Because it's really, you know, not verbal. They're vocal and a lot of other ways that they communicate. But I think one of the things that you talked about in the beginning of your book was that uh you know really just defining language you said um in one of the one of the parts of the book you said um the match to sample method was not the best starting point for teaching yasha one of your old dogs the names of objects because you failed to incorporate yasha's language training into our playful interactions. As I had all of his prior training, I certainly wasn't taking good advantage of his social intelligence. That had to be a critical mistake because language is inherently a social activity. And I thought that was really an interesting statement about speaking to, well, language isn't just, you you can't have language without the sort of the intention of communication, which is social. It requires another, something else. So I thought there's a lot of really interesting thoughts that you have in there about, you know, what is language and then how we are trying to teach dogs our language of words, but it doesn't mean that they don't have the ability to understand language. It's just in a different way. Does that make sense? If I might add one thing that was so key with Dad and teaching Chaser and his failures to teach Yasha human language. Now, Yasha could, a lot of dogs can do behaviors. But to actually crack the code and teaching them nouns, 
was sort of very gray, fuzzy, fuzzy area where we would believe dogs understand things, certain things. We know that our dog knows. When we say go to, we're going to the vet, your dog knows where you're going. And so many people have had to resort to actually spelling those kind of words right, out between right. bath and vet. Mm-hmm. And that's because these words had value to them. Mm-hmm. So in order to make language learning um, possible, the words had to have value. And in teaching Yasha basic nouns like rope or telephone, he had nothing, no association with those words. They didn't mean anything. And so that was Dad's aha moment, is that these words needed to have meaning. And that's how he taught Chaser, was through play mm-hmm. with her toys. Which is what would motivate her to really care, because playing is so fun. And that was just such a common theme throughout the book, which I so appreciate and hope people really take into their homes with their own dogs. And there's so much research going on now more and more about play and how powerful, you know, play is with animals socially and how important it is and how valuable it is of an interaction. And clearly in this case, it was really what enabled you to, uh, you know, motivate the dogs to 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 stay in the work because they were like, okay, this is fun. So, yes, I will. I will learn this. Um, you talked about, uh, uh, again, throughout the book, it's all over the place about play, But and I so appreciate this. You said, we all learn better and faster when learning is fun. And I, I mean, I'm no exception to that. I, I do my best work when I'm having fun and at ease. And um, so in figuring that out with Chaser, you know, it's kind of an interesting question about separating a dog's ability to learn with their motivation to learn and that those two things maybe aren't, aren't separate. Like, cause it's like, there's a conversation about, well, does, does the dog's brain have the ability to learn this many words versus is the dog motivated to learn this many words and kind of, you know, kind of like, well, where's that line in separating the two things? Well, that was, that was the, the, the initial question is how, how can we teach the dog, the word, and as Debbie's implied a little bit earlier, the words have to have value. But before the words have, can have value, uh, the objects have to be have value. So we lucked out by using uh, a ball uh, and inciting the little puppy uh, to chase the ball, and as chaser uh chased the ball uh that ball took on value because it permitted the little puppy to emit an inborn instinct and once the object took on value then the name of the object began to take on value and that was the key to leading her finally to the point where about the fifth or sixth month, she had the aha moment. It was kind of like a Helen Keller moment. Mm. There was this awareness that objects have names and also awareness uh, that the cues that I gave her when I said this is, that enabled her to associate that 
particular word with a particular object. It's really incredible. Now, what is it like? Now, you've said that I saw a clip on television of you demonstrating this, and this was a while ago. This was before I, I received the book. Um, where you have, you know, this mound of stuffed animals and objects and diff- all these different toys, and they all have a name written on them. And I, I mean, I just think coming up with all the names would have been so hard to do. Um, and it's, you know, get this and get that, and she did it and did it and did it and did it over and over again. Um, but I'm curious to hear about, you know, these other types of words that you've taught and just in your in your work with Chaser and in your research um, and then in li- you know, also in living with her, um, to, what is your um, sense for her ability to understand language um, as far as, uh, you know, our words? Like, so you've taught, she's learned now proper nouns, verb, you know, all these different types of words. So how are you able to string them together or how closely are you able to um, use those words you know, how would you compare it to how humans use words with each other, I guess, is my question. Well, excellent, excellent question. Uh, there has to be ABC learning. Children cannot begin to really expand their language learning until they learn their ABCs. Now, they can learn words before that, but it really jumps when they learn those early ABCs. Well, what are the ABCs for a child or for or for, for, for dogs? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the questions that we ask and try to give an answer to. Uh, it's before the dog could learn proper nouns or common nouns, Chaser first needed to learn uh, verbs, simple verbs like here, there, stand, stay, come, good dog. Once those verbs were learned, that we can call that A. Then we could proceed because she had those verbs in her head. Then we could proceed to go to proper nouns. And so what she learned proper nouns, now we we'll call that B is another step. It was possible to move ahead and teach her common nouns. Now common nouns are vastly, vastly different from proper nouns. Common nouns are learned only through inference. There's no way for us to teach that, the dog has to, like a child, to make a mental inference in order to learn a common noun. Can you give an example of that for listeners? Uh, well, Chaser learned many common nouns, not as extensive as, extensive as proper nouns. The teaching of a common noun required that she learn that the objects 
that she learned the name of were toys. Mm. Now, Chaser had her toys, but we also had similar objects in the home that we told Chaser belonged to family members. And so I would put some object down very similar to the toys that she had and say, this is solid, no play. Well, we were happy to find that Chaser learned that any object for which she had learned the name was a toy with which she could play, as opposed to similar objects that belonged to family, but with which she could not play. Now, So she learned, yes, that the toys were actually toys. Her, these objects were all toys. Okay. Yes, that's also a toy, but it's not yours. Right. Mm-hmm. She, and, and his dad was saying she also learned, for instance, uh, Frisbees. With her, she has over 30 Frisbees, and she learned that anything that was flying through the air and was a saucer shape was, is a Frisbee. So it's almost like categories of things. Like, That's exactly yeah. what they are. Sticks, okay. trees, balls. Hmm. Um, those are all objects where you can actually chase her, made the leap. And like my father's saying, the inference, which she, something had to click in her head. And she's like, oh, mm. this is one of these. Mm. So that if we, he would tell her to go to a tree and show her that an object was a tree, she understood that's a tree. And then you can tell her to go to another tree and she'll go to another tree, mm. find another tree. The same with sticks. For instance, she loves to carry sticks in her mouth on walks. So um, organically, this is how dad and my mom taught Chaser the names of things was through repetition. And she's always listening. And your Mm -hmm. your dog is always paying attention. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, we're not paying attention to them. Yeah. But through that, you know, he was able to teach her find a bigger stick, find a little stick, so that she understood how to integrate adjectives. Wow. It's just yeah, it's amazing how all of the different types of words uh, seem to almost come automatically. Once she learned a verb, then like walk or run, once she learned the verb, we could use an adverb to qualify it. That movement, it would could like slow, mm. slow, mm-hmm. step, faster, faster. So those are adverbs that help to qualify the particular behavior that she's submitting. So what I'm trying to say is that for some, it's almost magical that once the learning starts, that it's, it's the snowball. door is open. Yeah. To learn different kinds of words, yeah, which of course are necessary for before there can be learning into any elements of grammar. It almost seems like there's like you know we're talking about the words and the different types of words and what they are and how they're different and that she's learned the, you know that type and that type and that type and that type. 
almost seems to me too that she she got as part of this process almost that it was there was a level of communication that she got about it too like now that you're talking about you know show show me a tree or you know walk slowly versus just walk or you know where you're really qualifying and refining the language again which is a, a, a social phenomenon um, that it's it really speaks to their ability to I mean yes through words but I think you know my experience with dogs in general is that whether they learn words or not that they actually do have that uh, awareness or level of consciousness of communication that goes pretty deep it's just that you've actually now taught this dog <laughs> the human language of words and that her ability to to her sort of social intelligence or how, whatever you want to call that or her ability to communicate with people paired with that is like I mean it's almost like you're in a way able to talk to her I mean you Good are summary. right that's correct. That's correct. Chaser, it's interesting. It's beautiful to watch my dad and Chaser. And in a lot of ways, she's really like a two- or three-year-old toddler because she's the more that she knows, the more that she listens. Mm-hmm. And she's very attentive to everything he says and everything he does. And he's now working with her with imitation and modeling behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, which is but what's so um, fascinating um, is that she's, she's constantly paying attention, and she's constantly learning. I, I actually lost my train of thought where I was going with this. Mm. <laughs> um, but it's, his research has confirmed what... Everybody has always thought that your dog is smarter than you think. And the fact that we haven't actually stopped to train or mm-hmm. teach our dogs right. with anything, anything right. you learn, whether it's piano playing or the guitar or um, math, you have to work at it. Yeah. And you have to go step by step. And you can't go to step B without going to step A, like Dad was saying earlier. And the fact that... He's done that now. It just busts communication with our animals mm-hmm. wide open. Yeah. All right. Hold that thought because we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk more. Uh, we have John Pilly and his daughter, Deb Pilly Bianchi, who um, wrote a book called Chaser, Unlocking the Genius of the Dog Who Knows a Thousand Words. And Chaser is their book. Uh, Border Collie, who they have taught over well over a thousand words to and continue to work with her in language. It's really incredible. This book is a great read. It's personal. It's moving. It's so informative. It's so interesting and thought provoking. Um, Great holiday gift idea for a dog lover in your life. It's called Chaser, Unlocking the Genius of the Dog Who Knows a Thousand Words. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk AM 1150. We're back talking with John Pilly, who's the author of a book called Chaser, and his daughter, Deb, who is a 
music producer, is that right, and writer? That's cool. That's that's correct. Who uh, contributed to the writing of this book as well. Um, And uh, John is, the book is called Chaser, Unlocking the Genius of the Dog Who Knows a Thousand Words. It's an excellent book, great holiday gift uh, for the dog lover in your life. Um, This book is really well balanced. It's personal, it's personal, it's uh, very educational, it's Pretty darn mind-blowing and a really cool story of uh, what is possible in the relationship between human and dog. And we uh, entered into this break <clears throat> sort of acknowledging the uh, the power of, you know, intention and that this, you know, this book exists and this information exists and this really, really important uh, work, John, that you've done with your dogs over the years and how much insight it gives us into their potential and their ability really to um, communicate and their understanding of language and, and of us and of themselves and of the world and that it took doing it. You know, and Deb, you've made a really great point of, you know, we it's about giving the dog the opportunity and being present to her in a way to give her the opportunity to have these breakthroughs and learn, you know, over a thousand, well, well over a thousand words of different types, not just verbs or nouns, or but she's actually stringing words together now. And it feels like to, to some degree, at least, that you're really able to talk to her now in a way that she understands, like, show me the tree chaser. And she's like, there's the tree. And shows you. I mean, she doesn't say that back, obviously, but she acknowledges that she understands the language. And that, gosh, if this dog can do that, when you're, you know, looking at your own dog at home, think about what sort of potential is not unlocked in your own dog. And and how much, if the, you just have the presence and the attention to help them be what they can be. So important, mm. you know, especially with all the dogs that end up in, in shelters or rescue groups or whatever. Yes, absolutely. Um, just giving them the opportunity to understand what it is that we mean and to kind of take some responsibility to learn how to communicate mm. that in a way that's going to work for the dog. Because even John, you know, you've just accomplished this incredible um, body of work with dogs you know, you talk about dogs that you had before Chaser and the work that you were doing for many, many years that led up to this and that your, you know, the adjustments that you had to make along the way to make yourself better at communicating with the dog so that the dog would get it. And that's such an important piece, I think, for us to get, you know, as a whole, just talking about kind of the human dog relationship and and how, uh, you know, it is our responsibility. And, like, if the dog doesn't get it, then figure out what you need to adjust so that the dog does get it. Mm. It's not necessarily that the dog can't get it. It's just that they're not getting it. So what's wrong? What do we need to adjust? And one of the biggest things for, in John's case, was figuring out play. So go ahead. You were about to say something? I, I, I am. I am. Uh, well, thanks for mentioning the social nature of the dog. It, it, it's amazing. Humans and dogs have co-evolved for thousands of years. And out of all of the creatures, it's the dog, even more than the chimps and the dolphins, that has that propensity to be able to live 
with us as humans. Ryan Hare points out when he talks about the chimps that they live, that, that they don't have that, I love you, I want to be with you attitude. It's more like, well, what can I do to get that morsel? What can I do for the food now? Mm. Uh, but the dogs, as Brian Hare beautifully talked about, the dogs want to be with us. <laughs> uh, they and, want to please. And we open the door when we let them emit their instincts. Uh, that is so powerful. Yeah, and and one of the things that you know, I've talked, which you, you just mentioned, you know, dogs and people have been living together for thousands of years. I've heard lots of numbers thrown out there. It seems like the most common numbers that I've heard are somewhere around 15,000 years and somewhere around 30,000 years are the most widely accepted among scientists anyway. It seems mm-hmm. that that's, True. you know, that's how long dogs and people have been living together. So let's be conservative and say 15,000 years. Well, that's a long time. I mean, think, you know, take a second and just think about 15,000 years. Dogs and people have been living together and the, the nature of the relationship, for the most part, up until very recently, has been working together to some capacity. And it's just really something unique that our two species share that we have kind of come together in this world I'm pretty convinced personally that we wouldn't be as successful as humans without the partnership of dogs. If you think about, I mean, livestock management just as one point, and you talk a lot in the book, John, about your relationship with herding, the herding community, which I personally appreciate because I'm involved with uh, not as a herder, but um, in promotion and also in hosting the um question and answer panel of the herding trainers at the Vashon Sheepdog Trials here in uh, in Washington State, just west of Seattle. Mm. And, uh, you know, when I promote this event every year, every year I get to have a really, really wonderful, thought-provoking conversation with somebody who is a herding champion, you know, has is an expert in, in herding and has worked with herding dogs for years and years. And and, you know, you just watch these dogs work and you watch the partnership. It's really something beautiful to see and to see the dogs sort of balancing that listening and also working and sort of troubleshooting themselves. And there's a, a really great element in your book about that. Anyway, um, so just that thing, like talking about that nature of that relationship, working together. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, the question about love is an interesting one because I know now you know, more than ever, and, and really just particularly recently, it's even widely accepted among scientists that animals even have emotions. <laughs> I mean, for a while, for a long time, they were like, nope, just humans. And now it's actually right. like, well, no, actually, you know, we're, you know, uh, looking at the brain and the different areas of the brains that light up, and they all kind of look the same. You know, and if one thing that Dad also brings up in his book was it was, Descartes, the 17th century philosopher, um, that really set the bar low for expectation and coming up with the paradigm that dogs are nothing but machines with blood. 
because he found them incapable of mental processes. And so he kind of set the relationship and, and, and the evolution of, our, our, of canine intelligence, our perception of canine intelligence, just back hundreds and hundreds of years. And it seems like it, it's just really in the past 10 years or past 30 years that people are wakening, waking up, mm. yes, and understanding that dogs do have emotions, and especially with the MRIs and uh, Gregory Burns' work and also the work over in, um, at the Planck Institute, you know, all the amazing things that they're doing with um, finding out with the way that canine brain works. Isn't that correct, Dad? Correct, yes. <laughs> um, you talked, John, in the book about creative teaching um, that really, you know, ultimately is highly dependent on the relationship between the learner and the teacher. And I thought that was a great, I mean, this sort of theme is really throughout the book as well. You talk about um, again, I think at the very end, you talk about fundamentally, as I hope this book has shown, there's one thing you must do to explore learning through play with a dog or other animal, and that is respect the other mind involved with you in the process. Remember that communication is a two-way street and allow for that other mind to influence you and your behavior. And when you, when I read that, Communication is a two-way street. I was like, ah, because I said that exact sentence to my clients over and over and over again because they're like, sit, 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 sit. You know, and the dog's like, ugh, go away. You know, like, <laughs> just that's irritating. What an irritating way to be communicated with. Imagine if somebody was asking you to do something in that manner and remembering that you're asking this other animal who has their whole world and thought process and feelings and preferences and, you know, all this stuff to do what you've asked them to do, but for them to do it under their own power and to just slow down for one. That's where we start a lot of the time. Slow down. Like, let the dog have a thought process. Give them time and space to even have a thought process in the first place rather than just like, bah, 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 bah. You know, you bring up such a great point and I found this very interesting when I started watching my dad work with Chaser. And because sometimes he'll ask her to bring something, you know, and and she she balks. She doesn't do it. And I'm thinking, wow, why doesn't she do it? And he he kind of, and then you see that he's sort of okay with that. And he plays with her a little bit. And finally, I was asking, well, why do you do that? She's not always obedient and he said well because she has to get her way sometimes yeah you know <laughs> it's why should i always get my way yeah they're not robots exactly yeah and so he in, engages and lets her do what she wants to do for a little while you know as far as like playing you know keep away mm -hmm. and yeah. then she does exactly what he asks her to do yeah I think that that and that brings up such a great point about, you know, the dogs. I think that the dogs really appreciate and one, I mean, are aware of in the first place and appreciate when they are being respected. And this was something that I've thought of. And you talk um, early in the book about the other 
dogs that your family has had, and um, two of those dogs were huskies. And um, my experience with huskies, if I were to generalize, so of course I'm making a generalization, but it's kind of what I've found to be true, is that huskies really, really do not take well to being disrespected. Like, they'll just be like, oh, you're, like, you think I'm going to work for you now? That, you know, like, you're not, <laughs> you know? Like, they'll they'll be like, a f- oh, and I think one of the things you said is that they're, those two were so great at pretending like they didn't hear <laughs> or, like, ignoring, especially good at pretending like they didn't hear what you just asked them to do. But um, over the years, I think I think that, you know, in general, working with dogs, like, as a philosophy, you know, being respectful of them as the animals that they are and, and honoring them. This was another thing you said that I appreciated was, you know, every dog is a unique individual, regardless of breed. You know, I mean, there are certainly generalizations we can make based off of breed and genetics. But then even within that, every dog is a unique individual. Chaser is different from the even the dogs, other dogs in her litter, you know, personality and all that kind of stuff. And really knowing who you're working with as an individual and honoring and respecting that dog and, and well, what gives that dog value to this or that might be different based off of the dog, you know. Um, there's a lot of really important points that you make really clearly in this book that you can apply really to working with dogs in general, which I think is so important, which is why this is one of the reasons why this is such a great book. Um, well, I think there's also examples, Dad, when you, with the dog that came before Chaser was Yasha, who was half Border Collie Shepherd mix, and he was very gregarious and outgoing and had a very... Um, sort of passionate personality. And, Dad, when you got Chaser, she had a very different temperament, didn't she? That's true. Uh, Some dogs are hard dogs. Some dogs are soft dogs. Hard dogs takes a little bit more of a a stringent uh, approach. Soft dogs uh, needs very little uh, correction. A point that I'd like to point out, too, relative to children and dogs. Uh, I wish I'd learned this earlier in my life, but students or children are not vessels to be filled. Rather, they are lanterns to be lit. Mm. And I try in my head from time to time, I'm to see how I can apply this more and more with Chaser. And what that consists of is putting her into novel situations, giving her an opportunity to try to solve a problem which enlarges her repertoire. Yeah, I just love that that approach. Um, Because there, it really, it sort of, brings into the conversation the essence of an individual and working with that, you know, um, rather than just thinking of uh, the st- the more sterile, you know, you learn this and you learn that versus like, well, what inspires you? Because it's awfully powerful to be inspired, as we can see from the work that you've done. 
you know, was inspired. I mean, this was inspired work, and now look what you've accomplished. It's really incredible. This dog has learned well over a thousand words. She's a border collie. Um, have you? Are you seeing people um, doing this with other uh, other types of dogs? I mean, I'm really curious to see this done with more dogs. You know, I know like we've talked, we've mentioned Brian Hare a few times and he has his website Dognition, which is really a really um, great thing for you to do if you're interested in engaging your dog's brain and getting to know your dog's thought process a little bit better and burn some mental energy because remember dogs have both mental and physical energy and they need an outlet for both of those things. Dognition.com is a great website um, but, you know, I'm curious, you know, of course, you know, you've used a border collie, which, I mean, they're they're known as, you know, these dogs that are so smart and and have such a great work ethic and so incredibly intelligent and all this. Um, you know, I'm really curious. I, I wish that we could have you do this with lots of other types of dogs and see what your perspective is on that. But based off of the dogs that you have worked with, you know, what is your perspective on on work, doing this kind of work with other dogs? I mean, Chaser's not some miracle dog where not to take anything away from her. Um, but she's one dog out of, you know, millions. And well, that- we do not say that the Border Collie is the smartest dog. What we believe is that the the social relationship with humans mm-hmm. uh, has been kind of programmed in them to be more likely to listen to the farmer. Right. If the dog in herding does not keep the eyes on the sheep and does not listen to the farmer, then they have not bred them. Right. So... The hypothesis is that they've got a little edge here. They're more likely to listen. And what we really encourage is that owners talk to their dogs in very simple language, maybe two words uh, or three words, but talk, talk. Our dogs are listening to us mm-hmm. once they find they're going to be able to play. Yeah, and just, you know, talking, just the idea of, you know, in doing that, like really just talk to the dog. And I've done this before with my own dogs, just out of kind of curiosity to see what they would do. Um, We have an array of different dogs, Dachshund, Lab, um, two Australian cattle dogs, and a mixed breed. So we've got a good, good variety there. And just talking to them like I was talking to some to a human, just kind of telling them about this client or that, what you know, whatever. And they really love it. They're like, you know, especially the cattle dogs because they're so intense about everything. And they're like, huh, really? You know, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, tell me more about that. You know, and they, they really love just being, you know, uh, interacted with in that way and like being present to them in that way as opposed to just, you know, going around, going about my life with the dogs there but not really tuning into them. And the dogs know when they're being tuned into and when they're not, and they so love it. But, yeah, your point ultimately about the the herding breeds and that they're bred to, in their work to have an ear on the handler and and an eye on the sheep and to be connected to both as opposed to, for example, like a terrier 
where it's like go into the hole and kill it, you know, <laughs> basically, right? Yeah. So it's a whole different wiring that's going on there. Um, you know, not to say that they're not trainable and all that kind of stuff, but there, that presents challenges when we're in a conversation about listen to me, even though there's a squirrel over there. Well, you know, it's also the same with kids. It's like learning and teaching one size does not fit all. Yeah. You know, there are kids that learn in different ways and that have their own individual geniuses. Yeah. You know, where and their talents. And all dogs are the same. Yeah. It's finding that talent and that spark that really turns your dog on and mm-hmm. excites your own dog that you want to tap into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, just coming back to honoring and celebrating who they are as individuals. So you're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Ford. Okay, and we are back with John Pilly and his daughter, <coughs> Deb Pilly Bianchi, who are the authors of this book called Chaser, Unlocking the Genius of the Dog Who Knows a Thousand Words. Chaser is a border collie, um, their family's border collie, actually, and John has successfully taught this dog over a thousand, well over a thousand words and is still working on developing her ability to understand the human language of words. And it is just an incredible book. Uh, it's it's personal. You really get into the 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 depth of relationship that he and the family have with their dogs. Um, you know, the work started before Chaser came into their lives and, um, you know, talking uh, about even the, the experience of having to say goodbye and which, by the way, made me cry and uh, is a really important aspect of life with dogs too to acknowledge. And then talking about the, the science behind it and the learning and all this kind of stuff. Such a great book, Chaser. Um, the website is chasertheborderCollie.com, and uh, we just have a couple minutes left, Deb, but will you tell us what you have going on there? Sure. We've got uh, some videos of Chaser. We have a trailer for the book. We've got a lot of the international media. Um, Chaser's been published in over 72 countries. Um, not the book, but information about sure. Chaser. Mm-hmm with the media. Um, there's our Instagram and Facebook. We're keeping you up to date with what Chaser's doing mm. um, and what my dad's doing. It's kind of like a, a peek into a day of the life of John Pilly and Chaser, which is really quite magical. So yeah. you can keep up with us um, on the website. Cool. And again, that's ChaserTheBorderCollie.com. And how old is Chaser now? She's 10 years old physically. Our metaphor for her is she's a, she's I'm, she's ten years old. Mm-hmm. But our metaphor for her is she's a two year old toddler. Yeah. <laughs> two year old toddlers know how to say no. Two year old toddlers have this yearning for learning mm. and all of this energy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good metaphor for most dogs. Yeah, absolutely. In your, your in understanding your relationship with your dogs, and how you've um, brought together your professional world as a psychology professor and um, research scientist, and your love and connection, clearly deep, deep connection with your dogs, and how you've brought these two things together, 
and what you've created, what has come out as a result of it is really incredible. So I thank you as a as a person in the industry of dog training and behavior and in this conversation of communication and learning, what you've contributed is incredible. You and Chaser and your other dogs before that and your family. Um, and what a role model you are for people and how to be with their dogs, too. Um, it's, you know, this is about what, you know, what dogs can learn, but really what kind of life can they have? What kind of quality of life? What's possible in the connection between people and dogs? And what's our responsibility in in providing for them so that they have their needs met and that they are stimulated mentally and have a constructive outlet for both their mental and physical energy and are appreciated and honored as the individuals that they are. Um, And it's just really wonderful. I wish we had a ton more time to talk. I could probably be here for the rest of the day talking with you about different aspects of this book. But again, it's called Chaser, Unlocking the Genius of the Dog Who Knows a Thousand Words. I can't recommend this book enough. Great holiday gift for the dog lover in your life. And thanks so much, John and Deb, for your time today. If you've missed any part of this episode or any of our over 300 shows, you can find them all archived on dogradioshow.com and as a free podcast on iTunes. And we'll be back next Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.